At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, David, thank you very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I am Frank Holland in for the Judge Scott Wapner. So is it a summer sizzler or will investors get burned? What's the fate of the rally as we turn the page on a new trading month? Our investment committee is standing by to tackle that question and much more. Joining us for the hour, we have Josh Brown, Stephanie Link, Jim Labenthal, and Liz Young. But first, let's get a check on the market at noon Eastern. Right now, we're seeing the Dow just creep right back into positive territory, fractionally higher right now. The S&P down a third of a percent. The Nasdaq just about the same. Important to note, though, we're looking at the 10-year note back above 4%. The yield on the 10-year highest level it's been since about July the 10th, something we we'll continue to look at throughout the show. All right, as we kick off, kick off a new month for stocks, take a look at how the Dow historically does in August. From 1896 until 1986, August, on average, the best performing month of the year. But after 86, all that changes, and August is now the worst month for the Dow, an underperformer down about 1% on average for almost the last 30 years. That sets us up for the first trading day of August, Stephanie. Uh, what do you think? Are we in for a decline in the markets based on historicals, or is there something else that could push this market lower or maybe keep the rally going? I, I don't know. I think that we've come a long way in, in uh, year to date in all the averages, so it, it wouldn't surprise me if we took a pause. But I, I'm encouraged by the economic data that we're, we're seeing and how that's translate, translating into earnings being a little bit better than expected. So if you look at the economic data, you know, we got the GDP numbers last week, 2.4 versus 2% in the first quarter. So an acceleration, right? Led by the consumer, we've talked about the consumer endlessly all year, uh, supported by jobs, supported by wages, and even the jolts number today, I know people are, are kind of encouraged because it came down, you still have 1.6 jobs available for one unemployed person. So consumer is ju- doing just fine, I think will continue. Manufacturing, it's a little bit different, right? It's a little dicey, but I think the PMIs are bottoming at this point, especially on the regional series. So I think the manufacturing side of the economy certainly could be the be the surprise in the second half of the year as it kind of gets a little bit better. Um, durable goods really encouraging last week as well. And at the same time, we all know that inflation is coming down. So all of this wrapped up is, is, is leading to a little bit better than expected earnings mm-hmm. and a broadening of the market. Um, and if you look at some of the industrials, for example, they've really been stellar. They're seeing about putting up about 7 8% growth. The financials are putting up about, they put up about 8% banks, put up 19% earnings growth. So it's not just tech, and I'm encouraged by that. And if we can continue to see the broadening in the marketplace. I actually think that that might carry us higher, these other industries. So I'm encouraged. All right. So a lot of encouragement there. Jim, we hit the historical data over the last almost 30 years, the Dow uh, seeing a decline in August, worst month out of the year. Is that meaningful in today's environment? I think it is. Um, By the way, September's no gem, Frank. I mean, that's really, (laughs) you know, kind of not a good month either. 
in October. Mm -hmm. October's not so bad. It gets a bad first, rap because of 1929. First, but first let's half. not get stuck on that. <laughs> um, look, and especially when you've had a year like this where the market's up, what, the S&P 500's up 20%. Now, you got to decide how you want to deal with that. You could take some money out of the market. I do not think it's wise to get wildly out of the market. I've raised some cash recently. I've got about 7%. You know, Steph, you made a great point that another way to deal with that is maybe take some money from the high-flying tech winners and put it into some of the things that you and I have liked for quite some time, some more cyclicals, financials, industrials, materials, and energy, and kind of hide out there. Um, let me be clear that what I'm saying is not scientific. Okay, there's nothing, I can't prove this to you. This is just experience that probably, you know, this rally is going to run out of steam in the next couple of weeks. Consider, Frank, and everybody, you know, consider that next week you got the CPI. What if, I'm not saying it will happen, but what if it has a two-handle on the headline, right? That would indicate that really the Fed should be done. I think the market's priced that in. I think it's hard to get more good news into this market. It does not mean sell all your stocks and, you know, head for the hills. It just means be a little tactical here. In the long run, things look very bright. You know, these three infrastructure bills that we've had over the last two years, they really don't start hitting until next year through 2026. Those are going to be powerful economic drivers. So you don't want to really be out of this market, but you can be a little tactical around the edges. Liz Young, are you looking at that historical data? Is that meaningful in today's world as we see the markets decline on the first trading day of August? I mean, it's absolutely meaningful. You always have to look at history and find out what investors typically do after a big run-up like this. And to Jim's point, we've seen such a strong rally. It's natural for some of the steam to come off of that. But I think what we're going to see and what a lot of the, the minds have changed to come to believe is that maybe an Armageddon-type recession is not in the cards. Maybe it's a softer recession. Maybe it's some kind of contraction that's not as painful. And even better than that, maybe it's not going to hit every single sector at the same time because tech has already gone through its pain, gone through its cost-cutting cycle. And then this big run-up in price, perhaps leading a little bit and getting ahead of itself. But now the question is, does tech have to move down to meet the rest of the market or will the rest of the market come up to meet it, the cyclical sectors and the stuff that has been unloved? If July repeats and extends into August and into fall, then it sounds like the cyclical sectors and some small caps will catch up, which to Steph's point, broadening out is a strong indicator. I think we're still not entirely sure, though, what these lagging effects of the tightening cycle will be. So I'm not ready to jump in and say, OK, full steam ahead. But it does look stronger than I expected. So is, is it also meaningful that everybody's been talking about the rally broadening out? The small caps are the hardest hit of all the indices today, down 1%. We see the Dow is just fractionally higher, and the other two down about a third of a percent. Yes, but the small, so small cap value had a really great July, standout July, right? So anytime that you see such a swift rally like that, I think a little give back as a price discovery phase is normal. I don't know that I would put too much weight on what's happening just today. Right, I think some of it day. is just kind of, yeah, let's back off. Let's back off the gas a little bit in the stuff that's right. run really fast. So Josh Brown, you've been waiting patiently. I want to come out to you working from home today. What's your take <laughs> on what we're seeing in the market action today so far? Let me, let me start with a correction. I am working from Ritholtz Wealth Management, uh, my wealth management firm in Manhattan. Okay. I wish I were working from home. All right. I'm not with you, though, and I miss you guys. Listen up. I think the, the big picture here is the leadership. There's a lot of extended charts in the new leadership areas of the market. I know you guys just talked about small caps, which had a great uh, month. It's okay if these, if these things cool off a little bit. It's okay if there's a little bit of a retracement. I want to point out a couple of areas that I'm keeping my eye on. I want to see 
low volume pullbacks in these areas that don't end up breaking down. Energy related stocks. Crude is down 1% today. It's about 81 a barrel. The high on the year was 83, which was in way back in April. I think we can see that level taken out to the upside, but they've been on a tear. They're calming down a little bit. Understand something. 100% of the components of the XLE, which is the S&P 500 energy sector spider, are above their 50-day moving average. That is a sector that probably, as a group, needs to calm down a little bit. The reading has been above 90 uh, percent for 17 straight trading days. So should all of these stocks be at 52-week highs all the time? Probably not. Put that aside. The Dow Transports, they're up 23 percent year-to-date. Most of that is coming from the rally that started in May. They were actually flat for the year as recently as Memorial Day. That whole group's on a tear, also cyclical. The industrials, look at the XLI, the top three holdings, Union Pacific, uh, UPS, and Caterpillar. All three of those stocks are above their 50 days, their 200 days, they're up an average of 12% year-to-date. Um, and then let's just do the KBE very quickly, because this is important. Um, these are the bank stocks. 97% of the KBE holdings are above their 50-day. The median relative strength index there is 60. So. These are cyclical areas of the market. They've taken over uh, the leadership. I think they're really important. I think they're all a little bit overbought short term. Let them calm down a little bit and cool off, and let's see where things stand. This could be the next great buying opportunity of the year if that's what ends up happening here. I don't think those charts break down. I think they need to gather a little bit of strength before we get that next breakout. We're kind of in this in-between moment, but those are the ETFs you want to watch. XLE, uh, XLI, XLE, KBE, cyclical okay. areas of the market that are the new leadership. All right. So, by the way, thanks for the correction. Hybrid working right now. Uh, you know, nice shout out to your company. I don't know if anybody else wants to shout out their company. Liz, you want to shout anything out? Yeah. All so right, Josh. So, so far. Shout out so far. Go high. Um, Josh, I want to come back to you. Is it also meaningful that we see bond yields go above 4% on the 10 year? And then all of a sudden, some things that have been working all year long, like the ARKK, ARK Innovation ETF, WCLD, taking some pretty steep declines right now. You're seeing a lot of companies with good earnings uh, have sell-offs in, in, in their share prices. It started with Microsoft. They had a great quarter. Stock went down 20 points anyway. And you're seeing that in a lot of names, so I'm not totally surprised. But back to the yield curve thing, which is an entirely separate subject. Bear in mind, the 10-year was the belly of the yield curve. It was like the big question mark. Every maturity before 10 years was north of 4% last week. And every maturity longer dated than the 10-year was 4%. And then you had the 10-year at 3 spot 95 and you're scratching your head. Um, seeing that now rally, seeing the steepening that we've seen, uh, a lot of people that are looking at manufacturing data, for example, would look at that and say, wait, why are we steepening? It, things are getting worse, not better. But if you're looking at pretty much anything else, the steepening makes sense. The 10-year rising above 4% actually makes sense. Uh, and I don't think there's really that much more to the story than that. Well, right. I think it's commodities, though. I mean, the commodities have, have, have been on a tear in the last month, right? Absolutely, especially I mean, wheat. I, well, wheat, yeah, but I mean, like, Brent is up 13.5%. Copper is up substantially. I mean, all across the complex. And I think that has to do with at least our economy doing a little bit better than expected, which is what I was talking about earlier, um, and the dollar being weaker, of course. And so that actually, I think, 
is the reason why yields are going higher. And maybe we get a we maybe get a fine CPI next week. But I think in a couple of months out, you could actually see that reverse a little bit. And so therefore, maybe the Fed is not maybe they're done. But right. then the reality sets in that we the, the rates are going to be higher for longer. Well, speaking of things going higher, S&P price targets. Stoltzfus from Oppenheimer raising himself to the highest on the street right now. Target for the S&P 500 by year end, 4,900. We've seen a lot of bullish sentiment when it comes to the S&P. So he's at the highest, 4,900. You see some of the stats right here. Assumes U.S. resilience will continue despite the rate hikes. Fed appears closer to a pause or an end in capitulation by bears. Means more money on the sidelines may flow back in the stocks. What do you make of this? Do you believe this is maybe, Liz, catching up to the rally? Is, is this a sense of this? We're going from 4,400 to 4,900. We've seen even bigger hikes from other people. Look at Citi, from 4,000 to 4,600. Uh, look over here at Credit Suisse, 4,050 to 4,700. So is this people just trying to catch up to this rally? Or is it a sense that there is something fundamentally that's going to push the S&P higher, keep the markets going higher? Well, there has to be something fundamental underlying those movements. I mean, all those price targets have been kind of blown out already. So then they would have to say things must be getting worse in the back half of the year in order to come back down to where we thought that price target would be. But I would hope that there's some fundamental proof. And I, and, and I think there is, right? The economic data has been stronger. Right. Earnings are expected to be this quarter the lowest growth year over year that we'll see and then they get better as far as expectations go for the rest of the year and into 2024 so if that all works as planned and if the fed is able to start cutting at some point in 2024 just to bring us back down to neutral rather than in reaction to something bad that's happened then i think those price targets are probably rational i think the issue that we're still all waiting and and looking for is is there going to be some sort of credit crunch because of this extended yield curve inversion because of the very fast hiking cycle and because of the credit issues that maybe have not shown up yet, that yield curve inversions do suggest are coming. So, Jim, I know you're looking to jump in. Here was a head scratcher for me. Raised his S&P target, but cut his EPS target yeah. from 230 yeah. to 220. That's what I was at. I mean, mm-hmm. it seems a bit of a mixed signal. <laughs> yeah, it is a mixed signal. Um, three things I want to say here. One, I think his target is going to be reached in the next six to 12 months. I feel bad for these guys who have to put a year-end target and like it has to be there December 31st. I wish they could give themselves a little bit of leeway and say in the next six to 12 months. I mean, we're talking about like a seven, seven and a half percent rise in the market. That seems reasonable to me. But, you know, to the bigger point that you were making going across the board with all of those macro uh, analysis analysts, rather, is that, you know, you should not look at these analysts as telling you turning points whatsoever. They are herd followers. I don't think I'm saying anything controversial. If anybody's offended by it, tough. These guys are herd followers. You do this long enough and you know that. Um, The last thing I'll say is, you know, the, the herd following on the estimates continues to go down. I'm looking at FactSet right now. The uh, S&P 500 estimates are, uh, as of last Friday, at a new low for this year and and almost at a new low for next year as well. So, you know, what I'd like these, again, they don't get turning points right. Can you really not see how good earnings are coming in this quarter and just change your mindset from the bearishness of the last six months to recognize things are better than expected? That'll happen. It'll be late. That's what they do. But, you know, let's wait for them to turn the estimates up because that's what they need to do. So it sounds like you use some farmer gym metaphors right here. So they're chasing the rally in your mind. Yes, add on. Do we do that on the farm? We chase other things. Well, you said, you said the herd. Chase, we chase foxes when they grab our chickens. That happens. Steph, I want to come over to you. I mean, Oppenheimer going higher now than Fundstrat. Fundstrat's, they raised theirs too last, uh, earlier in July, but at 48.25. Now, Oppenheimer at 4,900. 
but EPS down revision to the downside. Well, just- 230 was too high. He went right. to 220, and that's actually probably higher than where most people are anyway. Some people are out there at 180. So 220 is still very optimistic, right? And it's everything that I just said at the top, right? right. Better economy across the board and, uh, and also better earnings. And yeah, to Jim's point, like we listen to conference calls nonstop during earnings season. And I can list so many companies that positively surprise. First and foremost, the banks. They were the biggest surprise in terms of sectors. But look at Caterpillar today. Uh, li- listen to what Eaton had to say. There's this industrial revolution happening here in the in the United States, and it's yet, it's yet to be felt because the bills haven't even really kicked into the right. economy. So there's a lot out there that's really very good in terms of bottoms up, and that's what's really important when you, you kind of can't get caught up in the macro. you got to focus on fundamentals, and a lot of companies are saying a lot of good things. Pepsi, Coke, I mean, across the board. Yeah, we're going to get to Uber saying some good things, too, but we're going to talk about that in a bit. Josh, I want to come back over to you. I want to get back to this Oppenheimer call. Uh, part of the thesis here is that the Fed is done raising rates, possibly cutting early next year. Do you believe that's a sentiment that everybody's holding on to and is part of the reason why we've seen this rally, this sense that the Fed may be done, even though they haven't said that? The economy is approximately 70 percent based on services. Um, the difference between the economy and the stock market, most of the earnings in the stock market are coming from the good side. It's really weird. But the weighting of Apple, for example, and how many iPhones they're selling, like that, that like or Caterpillar or some of the larger stocks. So it's a really strange situation. But uh, I think that dichotomy, where you know the econ- last year the economy was doing better than the stock market, for example, uh, this year maybe they are a little bit more mirroring each other, and that's why I can go higher. And anyone that wants to work can work. We're having this very, very, uh, Axios called it a low pain correction in the job market. Um, the labor supply is getting less tight, but it's not mass layoffs and it's not happening quickly. And as a result, a lot of people are getting new jobs very fast. And so long as that's the labor situation, um, the, the, the services businesses that comprise, again, more than two thirds of our economy will continue to thrive. And not only is that translating to earnings and, and revenue, but sentiment. And that's just the situation that we're in. It could stop. It doesn't have to go on forever. But I think I mentioned manufacturing before. The people who have spent the last six to 12 months fixating on the manufacturing data in the economy, I think, have largely missed this, which is that so long as everyone is working and so long as home prices are stable, now they're actually rising and the stock market is rising and now people are even earning uh, a, a positive real return on their cash balances. Right. It's going to be an environment where people are okay taking risk. People want to own stocks. People want to uh, people want to think about the future uh, more than the present. And that's how we're getting through this valley in in the earnings picture. And so, you know, I, I don't know why that will stop or when, um, but until it does, that's what you're fighting against. And it's a very, very difficult tide to fight against. I think you're leading us to the next topic, earnings, and also coming up, Apple and Amazon. You earned another shout-out. Just throw it out there. We're just going to let you do it. (laughs) Um, On a serious note, we have broad ownership of Apple and Amazon here. Steph, coming over to you, I mean, is this a moment of the truth for the markets? These two mega-cap tech stocks, so much much ownership in the market. 
um, and also really wide-ranging businesses, especially when it comes to Apple, a lot of exposure to the consumer. Is this mm -hmm. a litmus test for the strength of this consumer, the resilience of this consumer that so many companies have highlighted, especially MasterCard and Visa, who obviously have a lot of spending data. And American Express, too. And American Express, good yes. point. No, um, I think Apple's going to be fine. It is a big part of the S&P 500, as well as the Qs, of course. Um, it's seven, over 7% 7 in the S&P 500 waiting, so it's huge, right? Yeah. So, And it's very well owned, although interestingly, there's only about 66 percent of the sell-side analysts that have buys on it. I thought I would have thought there would be more. Amazon has much more. 93% of the sell-side have buys on it. So um, so I think it's going to be fine in terms of I, uh, iPhones. 43 million, 46 million is kind of the range. It's down 8% year over year, though, right? So right. it's a se seasonal it's seasonal issues. But I, I think the services is going to be the interesting piece, especially after what Bob Iger said about Disney taking ESPN to DTC. What does that mean for Apple Plus and, and the expansion there and the opportunity there. I think actually also the ad uh, online market is, is we've seen is recovering and that should help. So I think the services piece is something to watch and I think the expectations are for something like 5% growth, which would be encouraging. All that being said, Frank, the stock trades at 33 times. The 10-year average is 19 times. So it is rich. Stress I know, I know Stress. I, and I know it's a change company because of the services component, but it is it is up there. So you sound like a little mixed on it. We're seeing so many bullish notes on it. Yesterday, Dan Ives put out a note, super bullish, believing. Do I have to do? Do I have to say what I said before again? You may. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't remember what you said before. So let me finish. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty then, pointed about herds and analysts and you know following the crowd. I mean, you might as well just say it now. We're, we, you already led us there. I, I mean, okay. What, what are they going to? What analyst is going to come out and put like a one hundred sixty dollar price target on Apple? That's career threatening. No, they. What they do, and this is why they heard and go in this direction, mm -hmm. safety in numbers, I'll put a 200. It's like the seven-minute apps. All right, I'm going to come out with six-minute apps. It's, um, look, so what Stephanie is saying is absolutely right. I think I'm paraphrasing you by saying it's a 33 times multiple for a stock that the analyst community, again, looking at fact sets, sees long-term earnings growth of 9.9%. So for any value-oriented investor, you look at that, you say the peg ratio is 3.3. That's not a kill switch. That doesn't mean go out and sell all your Apple. But it does mean that if you own Apple, you should not expect the 30% per annum returns in the share price that you've seen over the last five years. It's just not likely to happen without that multiple expanding from 33 mm -hmm. to like 40 or 45. Could it happen? Of course it could happen. It's not likely to happen, though. What's more likely to happen is that Apple gives you 5 to 10% returns from here, you know, for the next few years on an annualized basis. And it's fine. It's got some technical factors that are supporting it. It buys back shares. It's huge in the indices. But ultimately, from a fundamental point of view, it's borrowed a lot of next year's gains into this year. Well, it's interesting you say that. And I know you're not calling out anybody in particular. I just want to highlight Katie Huberty from Morgan Stanley put out a note. She expects a material raise to guidance. And she believes that's going to be a big catalyst for the stock. Liz, I'm going to come over to you. I know you don't talk specific stocks. Five-minute abs. <laughs> what you say? Five-minute abs? Man, Farmer Jim, you're on fire today, man. we got to cool you off. Um, but just in general, how meaningful is an, an Apple raising guidance, a beat on these earnings for the market in this rally overall? Well, I mean, it's, it's hugely meaningful for sentiment, right? You don't want to hear about the, one of the biggest stocks in the index suddenly be downgraded. But I want to go back to valuations. And this isn't just for Apple. This is for any stock or any market at large. Valuation multiples, as we know, are terrible timing mechanisms. You don't look at a valuation multiple and say, that's what's going to tell me to buy this stock today or, or wait until it changes. But what they are good at 
is foreshadowing forward returns. And you have to look out about five to 10 years to really feel good about that. But if the valuations are that stretched, it suggests that forward returns will be muted and maybe disappointing if you're expecting them to be extrapolated out into the future the way that they've just behaved. So in any circumstance, and I would put tech stocks at large in this basket right now, Valuations could continue to go higher. Momentum is a very powerful force, and it's been a very powerful force since January 1st of this year. But what it does suggest is that the forward returns over, let's say, a five-year period are going to be more muted than they have been in the past. And I think investors need to keep that in mind as they make the buy. The long-term average for the S&P 500 total return is 7%. Exactly. Right? So yep. you can have a really bad year like we did last year. We And then the prior year, we had a really good year and right. just not sustainable. So it's, right. a, it's a good point that you make. Yeah. All right. Certainly a lot to watch here. Just taking a look at Apple shares down right now on a day where a lot of the market's down in all fairness. Coming up, we're going to hit our chart of the day. Uber shares in reverse despite the company posting its first ever operating profit. Josh owns this one. We're going to get his reaction coming up next. Much more halftime in just two minutes. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. All right, you can see the Dow literally flat right now. We're back here on halftime. Let's get to our chart of the day. Uber under pressure after reporting second quarter results. The company posting its first ever operating profit and free cash flow above $1 billion. However, those shares are giving back gains from earlier in the pre-market. Josh, this is one of your top positions. Uh, it is. the stock, Look, the stock went into uh, earnings last night up 100% on the year. It had broken above $100 billion in market cap for the first time uh, really since, uh, since it came public back in 19. And I think, I think what's my big takeaways here, just in order, besides the, the headline numbers, are the following. Number one, Dara told Andrew Ross uh, Sorkin this morning that he expects profitability every quarter from now on. I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting a little bit more lumpiness just because of how long it took them to get to profitability. Uh, but that's not what they're saying. And I was really encouraged by that. 
um, the advertising business is now at a $650 million annual run rate. Nobody was talking about Uber's advertising business as recently as a year ago. Now it, uh, Dara is saying it could be a billion dollar business next year. They have 130 million people hitting the app on a regular basis. That is a massive platform to conduct highly targeted advertising based on people's exact location or where they normally commute to or, or what have you. Uh, it's a great business and I think it'll be even bigger than a billion in the out years. Um, the problem here seems to be that freight, the vertical, the freight vertical is challenged. I think we all understand that. Uh, yellow trucking just went bankrupt last week. Obviously, goods is not doing as well as services in the modern economy. But they see that as a hedge. I see it that way, too. At a certain point, when the consumer switches back from services to more goods, they'll have better numbers there. No big deal. Um, but this is the big one for me. $4 billion in free cash flow is possible next year at the current run rate of approximately a billion dollars in EBITDA uh, that they had this quarter. That kind of cash generation, number one, as recently as a year ago, was unthinkable. They lost $2.6 billion, lost this okay. same quarter last year. So if we're talking about $4 billion plus in free cash flow, we could be talking about returning capital to shareholders in the form of a buyback. There right, are only Josh, 2 billion uh, <laughs> shares outstanding. So that's, that's what I took out of the call. Number one, Uber Freight's an uh, asset light model. They don't actually own trucks. I mean, so that's, what, that's the kind of business supposed to be able to survive a slowdown in goods because you're leveraging other people's CapEx and other people's equipment. So I, I thought that was interesting, the troubles that they seem to be having in freight. But well, also, revenue I, is down 30%. Exactly. I mean, it's supposed it's to be top, an asset a top light line model problem. that's it's supposed to adjust problem. to volume. Um, but also, the you can't, asset light, wait, wait, hold on. It doesn't matter if you're asset light. If, if sales are down, sales are down. Whether, it, whether, whether you own the assets or not, there's less demand for the shipping of goods. Yeah, but that's, the, that's the, where whether the asset is owned is not shine, the, the though, point. Josh, that's, when, that's where you're supposed to shine. No, they're not. Bridge. No, literally, no, they're are. not. If there's less okay. demand, there's less demand. Yes, but when there's, there's less demand, people are looking for lower prices. That's when All you right. turn to freight sure. brokerage. But we'll move well, on past that. Let's talk about the sure. valuation. Four P of 150. Very high, especially when you compare it to Lyft, two very similar businesses. Uh, yes. Agree. <laughs> no concerns about that? No. I was losing money last year when I bought it. I wasn't worried about the P.E. then. I'm not worried about it now. Uh, this is a company that's just getting to profitability. It's not even in the S&P 500 yet. They haven't had a full year of profitability yet. It's taken them a long time. The business started in 2008, came public in 2019. Uh, it's really been okay. a, a, a tough battle to get to this point. Here's the thing, though. They don't have the same competition as they had even a couple of years ago. Uh, Lyft is okay. not really a competitor. Uber needs them to stick around so it doesn't look like they have a monopoly. Uh, that's on the ride side. On the food side, yes, they're competing with DoorDash, but who else? That, that's pretty much it. All so right. I think profitability is going to be better than what most people think. All right, we'll have to leave it there. Uber shares down 5.5%. I'll call you about the freight brokerage business. 
All right, let's get to the headlines now with Seema Modi. Seema, it is great to see you. I left you hanging yesterday. We can go see Barbenheimer. It's all good. Frank, I'm ready as well. Let's talk social media, though. X-Corp, the parent company of the platform formerly known as Twitter, filing a lawsuit in San Francisco federal court against a nonprofit organization that monitors hate speech and disinformation. The suit is accusing the Center for Countering Digital Hate of creating a scare campaign to drive away advertisers from the X platform. Now, the organization says its research found that hate and disinformation are spreading like wildfire on the platform under Elon Musk's ownership. Meta is preparing to launch several AI chatbots that exhibit different personalities as soon as next month. The Financial Times reports the company is designing prototypes that can have human-like discussions with users. It's even exploring a chatbot that speaks like Abraham Lincoln and another that offers travel options in the style of a surfer. Tiger Woods is joining the PGA Tour's board. Players now outnumber independent board members six to five. The tour's partnership with Saudi Arabia launching a series of demands made by top golfers, including adding Woods to the board. Players are also looking to change the rules to prevent a handful of board members from acting out, acting without the backing of players on the board. Interesting story there. Frank, my friend, back to you. All right, Seema Modi, thank you very much. If our Seema Modi, great appearance on the Today Show, by the way. I want to make sure I give you some props. <laughs> All right, coming up next here on Halftime, betting on the banks, the sector coming off its best month in more than five years, how the committee is positioned. That's coming up next on Halftime. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. All right, welcome back to Halftime. Banks coming off their best month in seven years. J.P. Morgan and Berkshire Hathaway both hitting new 52-week highs. Jim, you own both. Um, I do. I'm bullish on the financial sector. I'm overweight the financial sector. I do think this is just an obvious play as we get into the next few years of infrastructure spending, which I mentioned before, uh, as well as the supply chain onshoring that was mentioned earlier in the show as well. All of that is going to need financing. Oh, and by the way, as the markets come back, the IPO market gets going, M&A activity, all sorts of deal flow. I mean, this is this is a space that now that we're seeing the end of recession fears, and I think I think we are. I think that's being in the rearview mirror now. This is a sector that can continue to perform. I will say this. I am not exposed to the regional bank sector. I do think there may be some more shoes to drop there. I don't think it's going to be systemic, uh, but certainly these higher interest rates are the problems that brought down Silicon Valley Bank. So you may see some more tremors there. I'm just going to stay out of that space. Right. So the KBE and the KRE both coming off back-to-back monthly gains. Liz, what do these higher interest rates mean for the financials? Well, I think it's more about the yield curve. I sound like a broken record talking about yield curve inversions, but you have to pay attention to that when you're investing in financials. I am bullish on financials. I do like the sector. And when you look at valuations of banks versus financials at large, they're still very attractive. So if you're a value investor, banks look pretty good. And if you're somebody who's a value investor and you believe that either will have a mild recession or skip one altogether, usually in the beginning of a rally after that, you have things like small cap and mid cap value lead out. Financials are a big part of that, so they should do well. That's not to say that we won't have a little pullback in the meantime, though. And as the yield curve uninverts or re-steepens, there could be some pain for this sector. But as it right. gets back to a normal shape, 
That's bullish on financials. Are we close to getting back to normal shape no. in your mind? <laughs> we got a far way to go before that happens. And usually the re-steepening is a painful transition. So I'm not, I'm not yet ready to say all in. But I do think that long-term financials are a good play here. All right. So last month, some of the best performers, Zion, KeyBank, those regionals that really got beaten up. What's your take on the financials? I want to ask you the same question with the rising interest rates. Well, the rising interest rates will help net interest income. And that is what was one of the big themes for the quarter across the spectrum. But you're asking me if I like the regionals. I don't. I actually think they're going to lose market share to the big banks, and that's where I have exposure. But I mentioned net interest income was better than expected in the quarters. Expenses were also better than expected. And there were some green shoots in capital markets. And I, ha I think that the two most important kind of uh, interviews CNBC did actually was with James Gorman, the CEO of Morgan Stanley, who actually said that he thought at the time, this is a couple weeks ago, thought at the time capital markets has, had bottomed four to six weeks prior. So that's very good for capital markets. That'll help Goldman Sachs as well. I prefer Morgan Stanley because it's diversified with wealth, wealth management. The second key takeaway was from the CEO of Schwab, who talked about cash sorting starting to slow. Right. That is a good thing. That stock is still down 21%. Trades at a very attractive multiple, so for the industry leader. So I think there were puts and takes in the quarter, Frank. Overall, they were po there were more positives than negatives. Overall, earnings grew 19%, and that's why the group responded and did so well last month. And I think if rates stay here, net interest income will continue to be the positive for these companies. All right, Josh, as we mentioned, Berkshire and also JP Morgan hitting new 52 week highs. You own both. Yeah, uh, this has been a year in the financial sector where quality has been rewarded really over uh, pretty much any other consideration. And I think these are two of probably two out of the top three most high quality financial businesses in America. I don't think it's a stretch to say that. Uh, and so I'm sticking with them. I've been in these stocks for years and years and years. I'm not going anywhere. I like the fact that they're going up. Um, but even if they weren't, I would probably not change anything that I'm doing. All right, Steph, speaking of great interviews, tomorrow on Power Lunch, our Leslie Picker has an exclusive interview with J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon. That's happening live at 2 p.m. Eastern right here on CNBC. You don't want to miss this one. Leslie Picker, one-on-one -on -one with Jamie Dimon. All right, coming up next, Mike Santoli joins us with his midday word. Halftime back right after this. All right, welcome back to Halftime. Senior Markets commentator Mike Santoli joins us now with his midday word. Mike, great to see you. Markets taking a bit of a downturn. Look at the NASDAQ down a half a percent, the S&P down a third of a percent. Is this the pullback that a lot of people were warning us about? <laughs> you know, it would make sense that at least we have a pause. I actually think it's worth emphasizing we've been kind of sideways for two weeks. Uh, the S&P first got to the level we're trading at right now, uh, basically July 19th, so that's 13 days ago, 12, 13 days ago. So it shows you that even though it seems like the market hasn't given way, it's more just been kind of hanging around. I think it's the normal back and forth chop of earnings season. So there has been this little bit of a subtle theme of, you know, good earnings, upside surprises right. relative to consensus. And then the stocks kind of back off a little bit because we did come in hot. So it could have possibly happened right on cue as soon as we click into August, the, the week seasonal period that we get the pullback that everyone seems to not only predict but want. Maybe, Maybe. Uh, it, would, it would actually make some sense. But I don't know if there's a high conviction behind that, except to say the market's priced in uh, a decent amount of good news. You saw the way the market reacted to to the jolts numbers this morning, just on the reflex. And then even the uh, the ISM numbers was 
we crave confirmation of the soft landing thesis. Like that's all the market really wants to do is eat uh, from that trough. And, and if we don't get uh, enough of that day to day, we may not get it. By the way, Atlanta Fed, it's only a month into the quarter, 3.9% GDP rate. That's too hot if it stays that way, believe it or not, for the market. Quick take on rates, uh, 4.05, highest since early July. Is that meaningful going forward if it continue to see that yield on the 10-year above 4%? It, it could be. I mean, if it, if it has a beeline for the highs, which is, you know, above four and a quarter, then I think you're going to have a rethink of, uh, of a few things in the market. But I do think it also lines up with the rotation toward some of the cyclical leadership and, and value as opposed to growth. So we'll see if that can, uh, you know, if the baton can be passed as opposed to fumbled uh, in the process there. Yeah. All right, a lot to watch for. Mike Santoli, thank you very much. Coming up, a lot of earnings still on deck this week. The setup on a few big names to watch. That's coming up next on Halftime. Grade my trade. Send us your latest stock move, and the investment committee will debate it and grade it. Email us at askhalftime at cnbc.com or tweet us, hashtag grade my trade. We're back here on Halftime. A number of key reports on deck this week. Let's start with the setup on Starbucks ahead of earnings later today. Steph, you're in on this one. I am. And it's been kind of disappointing since last quarter, but it's, it's only up 2%. And I think expectations are really low for China and the comps there. Last quarter, they did a 3% number. So I think if they can do 3 4%, that'll be enough. In the meantime, I think the U.S. is going to be very strong, about 8.3% for comps. Uh, and, uh, and, and we're just waiting for that China to change to turn, which I think eventually it will. It's just taken longer, and that's why I think the stock hasn't done much. So, but I'm sticking with it. Yeah, that slow recovery in China, Liz, it's weighing on a lot of different stocks that have, you know, international exposure at all. What do you, are you following this at all? I mean, what are you seeing when it comes to the, not only the recovery, but also the possible stimulus? Yeah, well, first of all, I would have called it a disappointing recovery, not even a slow recovery. They've missed GDP expectations. Right. And as China reopened, I think the globe expected that it would drive demand in a lot of different sectors, and that didn't come to fruition. And there's still this kind of hanging question out there about the property sector and all the debt that's tied up in it. Plus, not to mention, over a 20% youth unemployment rate. So China is not the growth engine that we were all hoping for it to be. That being said, as they've disappointed, it hasn't really affected global markets that much yet. That's not to say it won't, and there's still obviously questions about tension that could erupt over there. But I think the disappointing factor is more that we're going to have to rely on other things. That being said, we also don't seem to be able to rely on Europe. So that's where kind of stocks in the U.S. continue to get the appetite. Capital continues to flow here and stay here. And I think that theme stays in place as China and Europe disappoint. So, Jim, we're also looking at CVS. Had some job cuts earlier today and also said they're really pivoting to focus even more on health care. Um, yeah, look, this is a stock that has been going through a transformative period here. They've made some acquisitions. That has, uh, Signify Health, Oak Street Partners, that has weighed, and that's what you're talking about, Frank, that has weighed on their earnings, that's weighed on sentiment, along with some Medicare Advantage ratings cuts that happened last fall. So there's been a plethora of negative uh, sentiment around the stock. It seems to be turning. The last month or so, it seems to be turning up. I think there is a low bar to clear in terms of earnings. It trades at eight and a half times earnings estimates for this year. 
3.2% dividend yield. And frankly, those transformative acquisitions are going to propel earnings going forward into the next few years. They will use their cash flows, which are ample, to buy back shares, pay down debt. So I can't really put a lot on this quarter in terms of make or break. But I do think over the coming two years, you're going to see this stock steadily march higher. All right. Last but not least, we've got Shake Shack. Josh, you on this one. Yeah, this is another stock that's already doubled this year. Uh, not quite at the high right now. It's pulled back a little bit. Uh, but I'm a long-term investor here. Um, I'm really not terribly focused on each quarter. But if you look at how they reported in May uh, and the reaction to that, I think it was a wake-up call to the people who have been sitting on the sidelines or even short the stock that things have materially changed. They had sales up 24% year-over-year in that quarter. I expect that to moderate. Obviously, a lot of that is lapping, like, I don't know, Omicron or whatever we were worried about then. Um, so the, the growth rate will moderate, but uh, they're on pace to open 40 stores this year. They open internationally with partners under a licensing agreement. They own the stores in the United States. Both businesses are really important. They're adding a lot more drive throughs which is new. Um, and they've made heavy, heavy technology investments, which are paying off in the form of profits right now. So I'm a, a long-term shareholder here. I love the way the stock's performing this year, and I hope we can keep going. All right, Shake Shack shares down almost 1% right now. All right, coming up here on Half, the committee is ready to grade your trade. That's next. making its way just fractionally back in positive territory. And now here on halftime, it's time for Grave My Trade. First up, we got one for Steph. Harsh in India bought 1,000 shares of GE at 181. How would you grade this trade? I'm not sure that 181 is comparable because it hasn't seen 181. Maybe it was 118. So anyway, it doesn't matter because I like the stock. It's up 91% in the past year. They just beat, they raised, they raised their free cash flow uh, guidance for the full year, which is very important in what the stock actually does trade on with organic growth of 28% year over year. So the turnaround is definitely taking hold. I really like the story long term. All right, we've got one for Jim. Mike in Florida bought 75 shares of RTX at an average price of 95 bucks. He plans to hold for a year or two. Yeah, Mike, so we're holding the stock, and I had a robust discussion this morning with my analyst and portfolio managers about this. I've owned this for three years. During that time frame, it's done great. However, the last year, it stunk up the joint. One, because of defense margins, which need to improve, probably will. The other is this new issue about the uh, uh, G, uh, GTF engine and having to inspect them. That is probably a tempest in a teapot. Now, I can't guarantee that, but we're sticking with it right now. If that situation becomes worse, we might exit it. But we do think that the roughly 10% drawdown over the last month is way overdoing it as far as that GTF engine problem. What's the grade? Oh, you know what? I'm going to grade myself, okay? <laughs> a B minus. And here's why a B minus. Seriously, over the last three years that I've owned it, it's up 18.6%. But the last year, down 3.6%. I think there's better times ahead. All right. We got final trades coming up next on halftime. More half right after this break. All right. Welcome back to halftime. Time now for final trades. Josh, you're up first. Uh, I think energy is the next sector to go. IEO is how I'm involved. 
Liz. Ten-year Treasury. I think that if CPI comes in light, you see a parallel shift down in the curve. And if we have fears that it came in too hot, the Fed has to keep going. Recession heats up and it still comes down. Jim. Uh, Qualcomm does seem like the sentiment on the name is turning. Uh, there's a lot of indications that the smartphone market has bottomed. We'll see. They're going to report earnings tomorrow. I'll be on Thursday, so you guys can just beat me up if I've got this one wrong. Remember you said that. Oh, well, interesting. All the picks everybody, are in the Everybody will remember. <laughs> Steph, you get the last word. Sure. McDonald's, actually one of the best quarters so far this earnings season. They beat by 39 cents. Better margins. Same source sales grew over 10% in the U.S. International, they're growing over 11% uh, and 14% in uh, the Asia-Pac region. And China actually was stronger than expected. Oh, interesting. So we'll see. All right. That's going to do it for us here on Halftime. We got the exchange with Kelly Evans coming up now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.